Hello and welcome back to Your Dose of DeFi, the place where we keep you up to date with all the craziness that happens in the world of DeFi. This show is brought to you by your hosts, Abel Tedros and Token Bryce. Exactly. And we have a lot that we want to discuss this week. So let's get into it. But before we do, welcome to the show, Bryce. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited for this week's news and especially um, the, the, the story we want to explore this week because I think, yeah, it's, it's quite crazy. That is very true. All right. So before we start today's episode, just a quick shout out to the sponsor of today's episode, our good friends over at Ave. Ave is a non-custodial money market on Ethereum. Uh, they essentially offer the best DeFi lending and borrowing rates for your digital assets. They launched in January and their market size as of recording this is $143 million, which is freaking insane. Um, so if you want to go check them out, if you have digital assets that you want to either borrow or lend, uh, go to Aave.com. That's A-A-V-E.com. And if you're a developer, guess what? Ave is also for you too. So you can go check them out. Instead of going Ave.com, you could go docs.ave.com forward slash developers to get all the docs and all the documentation. So just to give you some quick context, if you're a developer, uh, you can integrate money markets into your application. And what's great about Ave is that they're what's known as a technical term, a modularized financial primitive, right? So the, the word we like to use in DeFi is they're, they're a money Lego and <laughs> you use that money Lego to stack on top of uh, your stack and kind of make these new interesting applications. So like, like I said, if you want to go check them out as a developer, go to docs.ave.com forward slash developers to check out more information. <laughs> uh, next one's for you. <laughs> Newsletter. Amazing. Yeah, so so uh, yeah, for every resource we're gonna mention in the podcast and in the previews, uh, you have the uh, currently Abel Abstract Substack, that is a, a newsletter um, being published um, every time uh, an episode of this podcast airs, uh, just to give you the pointers of all the main um, articles or services or resources we mentioned, so you can e- easily find them back. So yeah, check it out and feel free to subscribe exactly and we'll have all the links in the description as well so that you can stay up to date okay cool bryce you ready to jump into the first topic of today's show yeah definitely uh, i think you can uh, you can walk us through the the headlines on this and then we have a lot to unpack 100 100 percent. so we came across a really cool post and that post is called tokenized ownership is the best coordination tool since equity right and so the news that we want to highlight today is that you know this post has come out by a friend of ours at fabric ventures which is a uk-based uh, venture fund who invests in web3 projects uh, like zero x near protocol uh, centrifuge Zeppelin OS, Masari, Keep Network, Status, all these really cool projects. Um, And this post that we're highlighting is about, like I said, tokenized ownership and how it's the best coordination tool since equity. So yeah, I'm pretty excited about this one. So I guess I'll start off by saying, you know, why are we highlighting this? Well, first and foremost, we have to remember that incentives drive everything, right? Everything in our life can be technically put down to incentives right you you want to find out the information you want to find out anything 
go look at the incentives, right? And so, you know, ownership of equity is a great way to align incentives and, and coordinate people to do a particular thing. Uh, one example of that is founders, startup teams, and venture investors. You know, they're both aligned to achieve a particular goal. And it's also a great way to generate wealth and distribute wealth. You know, uh, ownership of equity has historically been a great way for uh, wealth generation, uh, but it's actually quite hard to distribute, you know, traditionally, uh, you know, because of the legal complexities, right? And so, you know, tokenized ownership could be a great way to distribute uh, equity. Yeah, and, and maybe something very payable and simple, but worth remembering is uh, incentives work. As simple as that. So, like, uh, you know, we've got, we get a demonstration pretty much every day on, on the decentralized finance markets. So, for instance, without going too much deep in, but if you take uh, the, the lastest uh, change that affected the compound protocol, that changed a few of the parameters, triggered a movement of capital of roughly half a billion dollars, essentially, from bad to die over a few days. So, yeah, that works. Hell yeah, that's incredible, dude. Honestly, half a billion dollars is so much money that I can't even compute in my mind. Um, and over such a short period of time as well, that's incredible. Uh, and you're, you're totally right. Incentives do work. Cool. So let's jump into the outline of the post. Uh, it's a fantastic post. And again, we highly recommend for you to check it out if you want to find out more information. But we'll do a general outline and kind of highlight what we think was interesting in this post. So uh, first and foremost, big shout out to Julian if you're listening to this from Fabric Ventures. I'm a big, big fan of the work you guys do. Uh, the the blog post that you guys put out is top notch. Very, very good stuff. Um, and I love how they're long form, really in depth, and you kind of have diagrams to explain your ideas. It's it's really, really good. So um, big shout out to you guys. And if you guys want to check it out, we'll put it in the description so you can go check it out. Uh, but the overall kind of arching outline of, of the post is... At first, uh, Julian essentially reviews the critical elements of the crypto industry and, you know, the history and, you know, what's led us up to where we are today. And then he dives into defining what early stage equity ownership actually is, uh, what it achieves and how it can actually accrue value. Right. And then finally, what he does is he kind of uh, emphasizes that tokens will be the best medium to distribute uh, ownership and uh, incentivize collaboration. Right. So that's kind of the general structure of the post. And he does a really good job of, of breaking it down. So I have some really interesting highlights of the post that I want to talk about. So Bryce, shall I jump into it? Yeah, please get right to it. And then maybe um, if I can tie them back to like, uh, because I've been following, for instance, the situation on Balancer pretty closely. So if there is any uh, relevant parallel, I, I will draw them as you, as you dive in. Fantastic. Awesome. So let's get into it. So the part of the post I want to highlight is, you know, he spoke about a bunch of different things, but the one that I found to be interesting is uh, the right token design, right? So one of the subtitles of the post is the right token design. And basically he talks about how how you design these economies to make sure that you're properly aligning incentives amongst all the different participants, right? Because unfortunately <laughs> we've seen time and time again with these tokens uh you can design them pretty poorly and it's very easy to do that and uh you can invite a bunch of speculators and you know have a basically a shit show if i'm being completely honest yeah and, and i think another layer that is a bit hard with those incentives is um your incentive can work uh by that i mean be successful uh, aka uh, attract capital but be ill-designed in the sense that, uh, you know, uh, those capital won't be actually serving the purpose of, of, of the platform, whatever that purpose is. So that's something you always have to be careful about, too, is like 
the sheer economic success of your incentives. So like, oh yeah, we got uh, $20 million now that moved to collect this incentive because people are interested. is not the whole story by itself. It's just like, okay, I have an interest. But it doesn't mean, you know, uh, usually you ask yourself before you release the incentive program uh, or other liquidity mining, uh, you try to, to make it uh, as aligned as you can with the long-term goal of the platform. But I think that's a bit of a... Uh, 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 a dream, you know, the, the reality is more, you will release with some assumptions on the incentive and, and then you will fine-tune them, tweak them as you go to progressively align them more and more with the actual goal of the platform. And this is a process we are exactly seeing on Balancer right now regarding the BAL distribution, for instance. 100% Compound's another really good example as well, where it's about getting the tokens in the hands of the right people, the people who are contributing value to your network, right? Because it's it's essentially like, here's the thing, right? And, and, and you know, Julian says this perfectly in the post where he says, you know, equity is not just a fundraising tool, but it's also a coordination tool, right? It's, the, it's an effective way to get people together to do a particular thing, to incentivize them to do a particular thing. Uh, in, in most cases, it's the bootstrapper network, right? And so um, he gives a really good example, and I'll, I'll kind of uh, highlight this example here, where he says, you know, if we are working on the assumption that equity is not just a fundraising tool, but it's also a coordination tool, um, then the best token designs would be obviously the ones that not only allow folks to fundraise, but also to coordinate too, right? And so he gives this example of the crypto exchange, right? So if you think about a normal crypto exchange, you have several different parties. So the first is the exchange team itself who builds the platform and maintains the infrastructure. Then you have the folks who participate in the market and provide liquidity um, and build tools around that crypto exchange uh, for it to function. And then you have, you know, the the traders who trade using the platform uh, and, you know, pay small commissions to 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 basically make trades in, in that in that ecosystem. Right. And, you know, in this example, there's a bunch of people uh, and, you know, they all have their different incentives. And in a traditional exchange, if this exchange works really, really well, then the people who stand to benefit are the core exchange team because they're the ones who build the platform and capture most, if not all of the value, right? Whereas with decentralized exchanges and how we're trying to reimagine what this paradigm looks like, it's like, okay, you have participants, you know, like we said, the exchange, the people who build the core infrastructure and they maintain it, uh, the, the folks who provide the liquidity and build the tools around the exchange to make it a much more rich ecosystem. And then you have the traders who use the exchange and pay the fees. What if each person could uh, have a stake, have an ownership in this particular exchange to, to kind of bootstrap this liquidity and, and, and get the network going, right? And, and, and what if you can design the token economics so that the folks who are the earliest in providing the liquidity or trading on the platform or building tools around that get the most tokens and, you know, proportional to their, to their risk, right? Because at the early stages, they're taking on more technical risk, they're taking on more financial risk in terms of there's not much liquidity in this exchange as of yet, and, and all of this stuff, right? So, you know, this post kind of brings up the idea of like, what if you can use this token as a way to incentivize all these different people to partake in your network, right? And so that is a very exciting idea. And before I jump into practical examples um i'd love to get your thoughts on this right yeah yeah i, I think that's a, a very good overview of um of the main uh challenge here which is you have all those different stakeholders uh with uh, different uh goals different uh, expectations 
And, and, and I think, again, I'm going to be like the advocate of this, but the, the other thing you have in the equation, I want to say is a bit of the, um, let's call it the spirit or the essence of the platform, you know, because each of these exchanges came to be with a white paper, a certain vision and so on. And so the question is really also like, how do you align the incentives with that vision? Um, and, you know, and that requires uh, a complex set of skills because you need to be knowledgeable about the topic, the, the exchange, but also about the DeFi space in general. So uh, to put this into context, and then I hand it over to you, uh, hand it back over to you. Um, for instance, on Balancer right now, uh, one of the uh, main topic of discussion is uh, this uh, MUSD USDC pool. So without getting too much into the details, it's just a, a stable coin, stable coin pool. And uh, with the current setting of the BAL mining, this is earning the maximum amount of reward, a uh, bad reward possible. Um, and essentially, there is a bit of controversy here uh, because people who are a bit savvy about DeFi and about the system are noticing here that it, it might be a classic misalignment of incentive situation, essentially, where uh, uh, the bad mining incentives were created to incentive providing liquidity on the platform. But the platform is here uh, to facilitate those exchanges between uh, uh, essentially ERC20 and ETH. And, and uh, it has a bit of a, a bias, let's say, uh, towards a smaller cap, a bit like Vancor. Not a bias, but it's just, it's, it's treating every asset equally. So it makes it very interesting for small cap, let's say, versus, you know, a, a more regular type of exchange where it's, it's obviously better if you have millions of liquidity already. Um, and so in that sense, it doesn't really make much sense at the first level to have, you know, even let's say USDC, USDT pool wouldn't make much more, much sense on, on Balancer just per se. But then you also have to account for the full context, which is, for instance, Curve Finance. Curve Finance does a much better job at facilitating, you know, a die to USDC swap or something like that, a stablecoin, stablecoin swap. So why would you incentivize a pool that in the best case scenario would be doing the worst, a worse job than an existing solution. And so right now the, the, the bit of the consensus is to lower this bal meaning ratio that currently is one in such a situation to something much lower if the pool involves two stable coins, probably something in the uh, half or, or third range. You mentioned a couple examples there, which kind of I, I, I want to talk about even even further, which is you know compound curve balancer. Um, these are all open finance protocols, right? And they provide you know incremental value to uh, to folks who deploy assets in these uh, smart contracts in these ecosystems, right? And think about it like this, right? So um, the earliest liquidity providers, so the folks who put up their assets in these smart contracts and, and uh, in, in most cases lend out their assets to these uh, to these protocols, right, uh, via these protocols, sorry. They're the first and they take on the greatest risk, like I said, right? So they take on the biggest opportunity cost of capital. They take on security risk, technical risk, all of this stuff. And so they should be appropriately rewarded uh, by token ownership, right? So they should be able to have a say in, you know, how these ecosystems develop, but then also be able to uh, earn fees from you know these these ecosystems as well as what they're earning from uh, lending out their assets in the market because they're in some ways actors like early stage like investors right in the in these protocols and so they should they deserve some sort of uh, financial upside um 
And then he finishes off the post by saying, you know, YouTube, right? So imagine every time you uploaded a video to YouTube, you could earn a bit of equity in YouTube. Would you upload anywhere else if you could, if you were able to receive equity from from YouTube for uploading videos? Uber, if you uh, received equity from Uber every time you took a ride, uh, would you ever use Lyft or any other competitor? Amazon, if you received equity every time you sold an item on Amazon, would you ever use eBay? Um, and so it's a really powerful form of uh, uh, incentive alignment there. And, and again, I'm going to be the, the governance advocate, I guess. But uh, I, I think the YouTube example is really great to delve into that funk, that, uh, that, that dimension. Because uh, one of the problems on YouTube was, as the platform grew, uh, one of the YouTubers that were essentially the early contributors to the platform who grew immense audience for back then and, and helped to make that platform a success because you know YouTube is just it's just a host. It's nothing without content produced by people uh, or, or companies even you know, but just other person than YouTube themselves. YouTube doesn't produce anything, um, and so the thing is, some of those YouTubers found themselves initially um, the main revenue on YouTube was advertisement, and so they were making um, big YouTubers were making decent revenues this way. Uh, but then came a more restrictive uh, advertising guidelines where essentially some topics advertiser didn't really like. So, you know, if you're talking politics, if you're talking about sex on your channel, like sexuality or things like that, uh, maybe some advertiser would like that, but most don't like those topics because they're too sensitive or whatever are their reasons. Uh, so you would get less or no pay on, on, on the videos or even, even eventually potentially whole channels got what we call demonetized. So that became a real risk of, you probably heard that time, being demonetized. Essentially means your video is not eligible for advertisement, therefore not producing any, any money that way. Uh, and so there was a big shift towards uh, sponsoring, essentially finding people that would you know, sponsor your video, your content, you'll talk about them, and therefore you have a more uh, a regular, a more predictable stream of income. Uh, but yeah, it's fascinating to think about what if back then you were earning essentially a share of the governance on YouTube and then instead of this shift with, you know, stronger, tougher advertising guidelines that happened, uh, maybe there would have been something else because the big YouTubers would have been the, the biggest uh, stakeholders in that decision, would have driven the decision another way. Who knows? Uh, we'll see if that happened, you know, maybe a, a, a decentralized a crypto native Web3 YouTube would go that way. That would be amazing to see. Yeah, and I hope it happens in the world of DeFi too and just other other industries and other uh, places too because I think it's really important, right? And, you know, like you said, I, I love that example there where it's like you spoke about early YouTubers creating a huge amount of value for the platform but were unable to capture that value uh, because of the way that the, the marketplace is set up. You're totally right, right? Um, and I remember that time, it was called the adpocalypse where um, <laughs> for, for a certain period of time, you know, multiple different YouTubers who were, you know, earning their livings, earning their, their bread and butter from, from YouTube completely lost all their money lost or they were demonetized like you say right it was it's the orange orange dollar sign is the symbol for uh, getting demonetized on YouTube and it's like a meme now uh, to, to get demonetized um, but you're totally right and this is what this is what this article alludes to and I love that and and that is why we bring it up it's a really important thing to stress you know tokens uh, that reward people who take risks early are fantastic right and you know they invest time in the platforms to make them successful and they play a vital role for for the success of the platform right and so with that 
perfectly moving on to the next topic, which is Curve DAO and what they're trying to do for their ecosystem, where they're trying to incentivize people to uh, partake and create value for their ecosystem. Yeah, right before we move into that, I, I realize uh, I haven't I haven't mentioned this one yet. So um, uh, on the whole governance subject we mentioned, uh, Bankless published a piece this week uh, about protocol politicians, and it's it's a bit of you know a projection trying to envision how this governance is going to play out. So if you're interested in, 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 in that dimension of the topic, I really recommend you check this one out. Uh, and personally, it really gave me thought for thought because uh, I'm now writing a bit of a, a sci-fi story uh, trying to like project on this idea. So stay tuned for more coming on that front. Uh, but yeah, so for Curve, um, I just wanted to mention it this week because uh, we've got a little bit more details on their, uh, the, the mechanisms they're going to use for uh, the way the uh, essentially the curve DAO is going to function. So they released a bit of, of documentation on that front. Um, and so first, it's really cool uh, because they are uh, dogfooding, they are using uh, Aragon uh, as a way to essentially coordinate a set of smart contracts that, that effectively is going to be the curve DAO. Uh, and so those smart contracts, without going too much into the details, they're here to, uh, I mean, the, the, some of them are the existing one, the one handling, you know, you provide liquidity to the pool, you facilitate swaps and so on. Uh, but then some are, are others are going to be added to uh, essentially manage uh, the curve distribution, uh, CRV token, and, and then also uh, the voting and things like that. Uh, the interesting part and why I brought this up is uh, because uh, curve uh, uh, is, is considering, so everything right now is prospective on this token, uh, but Curve is considering uh, what we call time-weighted voting. Um, and essentially, uh, it, can be, it can be bigger than, than just for the voting, it can be even for the rewards, but the idea is to use time as a factor uh, here to really incentivize a long-term commitment. Um, and, and that's something that uh, we're starting to see emerge uh, uh, left and right. I think it's just, you know, the sign of uh, this is definitely a direction to explore. Uh, so I don't know if you want to dive uh, more into Curve. Uh, tell us what you think, because there is also another interesting uh, uh, project that is harnessing this uh, essentially time waiting uh, mechanism too, I want to I wanna mention. Yes, 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 yes. Great segue. <laughs> so just a few comments on Curve before we jump into Ample, because I'm a big, big uh, advocate of the Ample project. I think it's one of the most fascinating projects, uh, not just projects in the space, but just freaking economic experiments that could never exist without the advent of smart contracts. And I love, uh, the this, more I read about it, the more I love it. <laughs> it's it's fantastic, honestly. It is it's it's amazing. So, shall I take this one? Yeah, maybe you wanna you wanna give us. A, I think you're more knowledgeable about the Ample itself, so you could give us a rundown on that because it's critical to understand what's happening here. And then I can I can walk us through the, the Jezza part. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, so that's exactly how I'm thinking about it. Let's explain Ample. Then we'll talk about the geyser and the success it's happening. So let's break down what Ample is, right? So Ample is, if I'm being completely honest, an interesting new economic experiment, right? So, you know, there are benefits with Bitcoin and there are benefits with gold. And how I like to describe this is that like Bitcoin and gold um, over the long term are a great way of storing value, right? It's a great store of value, right? There's a fixed amount of Bitcoin and there's a limited amount of supply of gold, which means, you know, they're great. They, store, they, they hold their value over the long term. 
But as a medium of exchange, they are bad. So gold and Bitcoin are really bad. And for the same reason, they're really good forms of uh, stores of value. They are bad forms of medium exchange. You know, in some ways they kind of act to oppose each other. Right. So what I mean by that is, you know, uh, there's a limited slash fixed supply for gold and Bitcoin. And so they act almost in a sense as deflationary, right? So um, you're disincentivized to spend them because in some ways they, you know, they hold value for, this, for the long term. And, you know, sometimes they can increase in value as well. Um, if I may, just a sec. Uh, the thing I love to explain it is like, it's a bit like taking the good part of both gold and Bitcoin. So like, if you think about gold is a good store of value, but is a bit costly and painful to move around. And, and crypto in general can potentially be easier to move around than much cheaper and much faster to move around. But uh, most of them are not stable and so they're not such a good store of value. And so Ample is a bit of an elegant solution trying to harness the, the crypto mechanics or crypto economics, let's say, but also providing something that can be used as a store of value and a medium of exchange. So essentially you can use it, you can use Ample as a unit of account, or at least you you will, uh, uh, that's the vision. Yeah, I would, I would add a bit of nuance to that as well because um, it's not just a happy medium between gold and Bitcoin. It's actually a happy medium between gold, Bitcoin and fiat money, right? So if you imagine the scale, um, Bitcoin and gold are considered like uh, commodity money. So they're backed up by, they have like limited supply and stuff like that, right? And they're backed up by kind of some sort of tangible value. Whereas fiat is backed by nothing but the trust in the government and how they responsibly print the money, right? And so sticking with this example of like uh, money, fiat is a great medium of exchange because you have, it's like a stable form of value right and so it's and it's also slightly inflationary meaning that like you're able to buy your groceries or that you can go to the shop and like not worried about like if the price goes up or down or whatever um but it's bad for long-term store of value right in that like if you buy a bread a loaf of bread in the 1950s it's like nine cents but now it's like 250 right and that's a case of point of like inflation right and so ample like you say is a good kind of ample is unique because what it is is it's a great store of value for the long term uh, just like gold or Bitcoin, but it's also a great medium of exchange um, in, in terms of just being able to like uh, move it around. So yeah, it's, it's incredibly interesting and uh, it's a nice, nice halfway house. So that's a long-winded explanation of what Ample is. <laughs> so yeah, do you want to tell us more about the Ample geyser and some interesting things about it? That's perfect. Yeah. So uh, you know me, I'm the practical uh, toolbox guy. So just before we move on, on this one, um, so as we were saying, uh, Ample is adaptative money, as they describe it. So it means uh, essentially the number of Ample you own gets rebalanced every day. And this can make uh, the tracking of, of your Ample uh, a bit hard. And this week, uh, uh, one of the uh, community members uh, just shared a, a spreadsheet to easily track the impact of these rebalances. So we're going to include it in the uh, newsletter. Do check it out. That's really useful. Uh, so now, transitioning into the geyser, that's a really interesting one. So what the geyser is, is essentially a Uniswap V2 pool, 50% SR and 50% MPOR. That's the basics. But the very interesting part is there is an incentive program on it. Now, it's not just your regular incentive program on Uniswap where you would just, you know, stake the token and get a, a certain share of a, a total reward for the pool every week or, or whatsoever. Here, what's happening is 
Um, it's a it's a time weighted mechanism, uh, and so I think the program started um, like maybe fifteen days ago or something like that, and it's over nineteen ninety sorry ninety days total, so about three months, um, and essentially uh, so there is a time weight mechanism, so meaning. Uh, uh, the amount of ample you would get out of the, that incentive program is a factor of both the amount of uh, uh, so Uniswap V2 ample ease token you locked, so the amount of pool token you locked in, but also the time. So to maximize the reward, you want to uh, have a large amount, commit it early, and let it sit there for the 90 days of the program. That's the one who's going to get the most ample out of this. Um, and essentially, the distribution is also dynamic. So I haven't uh, committed to the geyser myself, uh, but from what I've read, it's uh, every 15 minutes. Uh, so really interesting. Uh, the only part is, is and, and this is why I shared the, the, the calculator earlier, on, is uh, you will have to compute a bit of a tough position because you essentially have so 50% in ease, 50% in ample, and those 50% in ample gets the rebalances daily. Uh, and then you get ample paid to you continuously that get also rebalanced daily. So yeah, you need a bit of spreadsheet magic here to to navigate your way through this. Yeah, that's yeah. I was gonna say that's right, and that's a really good breakdown of everything. And I just want to add a bit of context, just a high level context in that ample is money, and the main value or the main thing you need to have is liquidity, right? And so this. Geyser is essentially trying to kind of bootstrap liquidity and uh, make make the network even bigger, right? And so um, it comes back to the ultimate point of this whole conversation, this whole podcast, right? It's like, how can you incentivize early adopters and disproportionately reward them for taking risks to provide liquidity or, um, you know, to, to create tools around your particular project, that's a fascinating angle, yeah, because essentially, like, what just it inspired me was, you could argue that Ample, through the rebalances, cannot have this liquidity incentive or whatever you want to call this built in. So essentially, this system, like you were saying, to reward early adopters for the risks they were taking and, and, and the opportunity cost and so on. Exactly. And case in point, you know, over 1.85 million deposits in one week. That's incredible. <laughs> you know, it's 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 it shows that this stuff works. And like Bryce said at the beginning of the podcast, incentives work. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that's perfect, man. We have like five solid minutes of Empoli's money. I'm talking with Evan this afternoon. I'm going to tell him about it. <laughs> He's going to mention us. We have to loop here. <laughs> That's fantastic. And I think that's a wonderful way to end the podcast uh, on the fantastic note of this whole podcast is dedicated to the fact that everything is about incentives and how can we align those incentives. I mean, that's the ultimate goal of what we're trying to do here with crypto and blockchain and this new computing platform, right? We're trying to build new systems, game B systems. We'll, d we'll t discuss what game B systems are in the future, uh, but game B systems to essentially allow for better incentive alignment, collaboration amongst different parties. You know, we spoke at the top of the conversation around uh, this amazing article from Fabric Ventures around how tokenized ownership is the best form of collaboration and kind of incentivizing people to do 
particular things and then we highlighted Curve and their DAO and how they're trying to leverage that and then finally we spoke about Ample and also how they're leveraging that as well. So again, this has been a fantastic conversation. I could honestly continue speaking with you, Bryce, about this, uh, these topics again and again for hours and hours on end uh, because it's a wonderful, fantastic world that is crypto. Uh, but for now, that is us. This is the podcast. I want to say a big, big shout out to uh, you, my friend Bryce, for joining us. So big, big shout out to you. Thank you so much for coming along. Just to wrap this up, maybe I'm so I'm so happy to see that you know the organic nature of like blockchain is manifesting itself here. So you know we talked about the broad idea incentivizing a behavior, but then you have already like ten different manifestation of this idea. Some are built through tokenomics, some are built through external system like Gitcoin, but that essentially achieve a similar thing. Some are built through incentive program and so on. And so it's just like it's fascinating to see like all those you know, experimentations kind of like grow in parallel and, and you know, uh, you can be confident that out of this, like we're going to figure out more um, practically how to work with those incentives and actually turn them into properly, perfectly aligned or, or better aligned design models. Exactly. It's an exciting future and one that I am incredibly excited for. So yeah, that is the podcast. Again, big, big shout out to everyone who's listening to the show. Thank you so much for making it all the way to the end of the show. We hope you guys enjoyed it. We hope you guys learned a few things. Uh, we definitely enjoyed making it for you. So we hope you enjoyed it too. So big shout out to you and a big shout out to Bryce. Thank you, Bryce, for coming to the show again. And uh, we will see you guys next week. Thanks, Abel. See you next week. <laughs>